0: Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and I'm excited to be with you today following another great week of talk, music, and community here on the radio show and podcast. For many of us in the Not Old Better Show audience, exercise and fitness is a way of life. That's definitely the case for me and my family. I love to exercise, stay fit, creatively try new exercises, and even read about exercise. Yep. I do. I like to read about it. And our guest today, journalist Danielle Friedman, has written a new book about the history of exercise and fitness titled, Let's Get Physical, How Women Discovered Exercise and Reshaped the World. For many women today, working out is as accepted as it is expected, fueling a multi-billion dollar fitness industrial complex. But it wasn't always this way. For much of the 20th century, sweating was considered unladylike, and girls grew up believing physical exertion would cause their uterus to literally fall out. Yep. We're going to talk about that and more today, but it was only in the 60s that, thanks to a few forward-thinking fitness pioneers, women began to move en masse. In her new book, Let's Get Physical, our guest today, journalist Danielle Friedman, reveals to us the fascinating hidden history of contemporary women's fitness culture, chronicling in vivid cinematic prose, how exercise evolved from a beauty tool pitched almost exclusively as a way to reduce into one millions have harnessed as a path to mental, emotional, and physical well-being.
1: While much has been written about how the rise of women's sports has empowered women, the role of women's fitness in shaping our collective pursuit of strength has largely slipped under the historical radar. This, despite the fact that most women stop playing organized sports when they graduate from high school or college, whereas many exercise for a lifetime. When popular media have explored the historical significance of women's fitness culture they have mostly treated it as a collection of disparate fads with little impact on women's lives or society at large. It is often covered as kitsch, reminders of a past that women would just as soon forget, from vibrating belts that promised to eviscerate fat to neon leg warmers. We can always find reasons to laugh at the choices made by our younger, less-wise, less-wise selves or forebearers. Dong Leotard's, really? But this popular treatment also surely stems from the fact that we live in a culture that diminishes women's interests as silly and trivial. Dismissing the things women say they love as inconsequential allows our culture to stealthily ensure women remain subordinate to men. American women's fitness history is more than a series of misguided crazes. It's the story of how women have chosen to spend a collective billions of dollars and hours in pursuit of health and happiness. In many ways, it's the story of what it has meant to be a woman over the past seven decades.
0: That, of course, is our guest today, journalist Danielle Friedman, reading from her new book, Let's Get Physical, How Women Discovered Exercise and Reshaped the World. We will discuss with Danielle Friedman the women who led the way of the fitness revolution, the tremendous gains women have made in obtaining the right to exercise. And Danielle Friedman will share lots of stories of people who went to fitness classes because of how they wanted to look, but stayed because how those classes made them feel strong, supported, and empowered. Please join me in welcoming to the Down Old Better show via internet phone, journalist Danielle Friedman, author of the new book, Let's Get Physical, How Women Discovered Exercise and Reshaped the World. Danielle Friedman, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us today and for writing such a fantastic book. We're going to get into the book. I've got a copy of it right here in front of me, titled Let's Get Physical, How Women Discovered Exercise and Reshaped the World. I love that title. I love uh, the the music, Let's Get Physical. And um, the book is so great because it just really gives this kind of historical sense Um about fitness and the exercise industry. And you, and you say that, you know, for American women today, working out is as accepted as it is expected. Mm -hmm. And you kind of chronicle some of these, uh, times, uh, when, um, when women were more, more, more sedentary and, um, and I wonder if you'd tell us about some of the, the trends across the decades that you that you found as you researched for this book, because there's just been this evolution right up to today with regard to COVID and, and homebound exercise. What kind of gadgets did you come across? Tell us about those. <laughs>
1: Mhm. Yes and I I really wanted to chronicle how this country transformed from one where um you know women were really actively discouraged from sweating and from moving their bodies in a vigorous way to the world we live in today where where exercise has become a vital part of so many women's mental, emotional, and physical health. Um, So I I take the reader on a journey through the decades beginning in the 1950s, um, which, you know, was a period when um, I would say in general for men and women exercise was sort of at a low point. Um, People were really prioritizing leisure and comfort and the modern way of life um, in the period after World War II. And then from there, I chronicle the first, some of the first TV fitness pioneers. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. The birth of bar in the swinging 60s in London. Uh, bar was created by a woman named Lottie Burke. Um, and I, I chart her rise and, and that phenomenon. Um, <clears throat> then into the late 60s and 1970s, um, that was such an interesting time in this history because there was sort of this confluence of. Of social shifts and factors that led to a boom in fitness across many different sort of practices. Um, for the first time, the medical community was really getting behind exercise and vigorous exercise as a path to health. Um, and there was also the rise of the women's movement, which which, you know, pretty explicitly was encouraging women to cultivate not only, social and political power but also physical power. So the 70s saw the running boom and the women's running boom. I I profile Catherine Switzer, the first woman to run the Boston Marathon with a number who became a a very a, an amazing pioneer for for women's running and opened so many doors. Um Jazzercise and aerobic dancing were invented uh, independently, actually, but both in 1969 and throughout the 70s, aerobics began to take over the country. Uh, By the end of the 70s, we also saw the birth of women's strength training. Um, And as I write in the book, while many of these other practices could kind of very easily be sold as Uh, a beauty tool and a path to becoming lovelier, even if you did sweat in the process with weight, with weights and strength training, um, that was a harder sell because it was really, you know, so, so directly connected to cultivating strength. Um, throughout the eighties, I of course talk about Jane Fonda and do offer a deep dive into with how she became the fitness icon that she did and the impact that her workout had globally. Um, I also look at the fact that she launched really the, the contemporary home home workout industry, um, and is largely credited with launching the entire, the entire, um, home video industry. Um, From there, I go to Buns of Steel and (laughs) uh, the quest for hard bodies, yoga, and I bring it up to the present. Um, I'm realizing I I, I want to answer your question about gadgets as well, because it's (laughs) kind of wrapped into this larger history. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, the the ones that come to mind, and I think this would qualify as a gadget, um, it's certainly a piece of equipment, is I tell the story of the invention of the sports bra. Um, Mm -hmm. I was really, I was shocked truly to discover that the sports bra did not hit shelves until 1978, which feels just, you know, really, really surprisingly recent in the scheme of things. And it was invented by a woman who had discovered jogging. She had gotten swept up in the jogging boom of the seventies and she loved everything about it except for the, you know, the, the discomfort she felt in her chest. And so, um, necessity was the mother of invention and she she and two other women created a prototype by sewing two jock straps together and <laughs> uh, the brow was born yeah um i talk about the thigh master in the early 90s which mm, i'm sure many listeners will remember suzanne summers the actress mm-hmm. uh hawking the product on tv there's such an interesting story there too um she had, Suzanne had, uh, left three's company. She had asked for more money. She wanted to be paid more equitably compared to her, um, male co-stars. And when they couldn't reach an agreement, she left and, and she sort of became inspired to, from that moment forward, only work for herself. So she and her husband, um, were approached about this device that at that point didn't really have a name. Um, she, she saw great potential in the device. She branded it the master. and it, it became, you know, it went viral before we called things viral it became this instant bestseller and sold millions and millions of units. And, you know, for those who don't remember, it was this sort of resistance gadget that promised to, um, help women shape their thighs. I do think the the, the, the fact that she used the word master is, uh, is 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 pretty significant, and I talk about that in the book. <laughs>
0: yeah, fascinating. The, the, as I say, the book is wonderful. Um, again, the title is Let's Get Physical by Danielle Friedman. Danielle Friedman is our guest today. And, you know, you, you talk about Jane Fonda. I thought one of the interesting little nuggets that I, I recall from the book was that Jane Fonda really... At age forty-two, which is is uh, not necessarily when you think about founding a business, mm-hmm. you know, although the, although that's changing certainly for for all of us. But mm-hmm. um, she founded it largely to help fund uh, her husband's political campaign. And so, between Jane Fonda and Lottie Burke and Catherine Switzer, um, who. Who impacted you the most in in your reporting on this subject and and your storytelling? Because I think there's just an amazing cast of characters.
1: That's such a great question. Um, I would have to say that Lottie Burke probably had the biggest impact on me because she is responsible for this book's existence. Um, The book began... Actually, when I started taking bar classes for the first time and I decided to look into the history and I I stumbled on the story of Lottie Burke, which at that point, this was about five years ago, was really not widely known. Um, And I was just sort of, I was amazed by the richness of that history. She herself was this larger than life, cinematic, complicated flawed, you know uh figure and um and so as i the more i kind of dug into her story and then and then explored some of the other major figures that i've talked about i just i you know i realized there was an important narrative uh to be to be told here um and so yes i kind of you know for me the book really traces back to Lottie Burke although i w- i was so Inspired and um, you know educated by so many of the women that I wrote about and i was fortunate fortunate enough to to interview most of them
0: yeah, those are wonderful stories in the book i i I'm kind of a elliptical person i I do love to exercise and you're a you're a bar person mm-hmm. and I tend to think of exercise as this function mm-hmm. but the history of it really grabbed me because I I just I value exercise so much um uh, the emotional component of it uh, as you talk a lot about in the book mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. why why this subject for you what why, why mm-hmm. is it important to you to tell this story mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: well um I I have been a women's health reporter for many many years and um You know, one of my goals with my writing is always to honestly just help women and help readers sort of feel, feel less alone, um, by illuminating the things that we experience as women, um, and, and, you know, educating and, and in some cases, uh, pulling back the stigma, um, with this topic, um, as I, you know, as I write in the book, um, I've I've seen firsthand how powerful exercise and movement can be, and um, you know, for so many women in so many women's lives, and and often it is kind of still it can be kind of written off as this frivolous activity or as something that's just about shaping our bodies or you know changing our our appearance. Um, and so I wanted to legitimize, you know, sort of where we've come, where, how far we've come, um, where we've come from, and also, and, and to recognize that exercise can be a very powerful tool when, um, when it's sort of, when you find the right fit and you find, you know, the form of movement that that just increases your overall um well-being.
0: Yeah, it really so true. And and um and yet there's a, a history of of prejudice to, against women who showed some muscularity and and particularly during the Cold War. And I wonder if you'd tell us a little bit about that story of of the Cold War aspect of the book because I thought that was fascinating too.
1: Yes. Um, yeah, the cold war actually sort of comes up in two different ways in the book. Um, the first is during the 1950s and 1960s, um, America and the government became concerned that the country was becoming soft, um, and worried that the country and, you know, mostly men, um, were falling behind the Soviets, basically, and, and wouldn't be able to defend uh, the country if needed. So um, many of the federal efforts that were undertaken to increase, improve the country's physical fitness, men, women, and children, um, were were forged for that reason. But for women, and so much of the history of fitness is sort of there are these kind of contradictions and these there's uh, these tensions that don't that that aren't you know easily resolvable. But at the same time, that the country was encouraged to become strong, Soviet women were really held up as as the model for what women American women shouldn't be. Um, American media would often show images of of Soviet women you know, grimacing and looking really strong, Um, I should say Soviet women athletes um, or, you know, women who are participating in kind of daily drills, Um, but as being just these kind of cartoonish, uh, masculinized figures. And it served as, you know, it spooked a lot of American women. Um, Catherine Switzer talks about seeing those images growing up and how it made her think twice about about running um, because there were just so few role models for what a strong, um, you know, uh, adult woman could, could look like and, and be.
0: Yeah. So from strength then to sweating <laughs> and and you talk about sweating, you, you referenced it and, and read a bit from your, from your book, which, which we very much appreciate. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that women did, Culturally, and so I wonder: it's okay to be strong today for women and and men? Is it okay for women to sweat?
1: That is, that's such a great question, and I think I, I think the answer would probably vary based on the community and you know the part of the country. Um, I think in general, there is a much much greater tolerance for for women's uh, sweat, and certainly women among other women. I think. Um, in, in in many cases are comfortable with it. Um, but at the same time, um, as far as we've come, I mean, I think that, um, I think that many women do still feel a certain pressure to, uh, remain, you know, attractive and what they perceive as, as ladylike while exercising, um, you know, there's the the moisture wicking, <laughs> athleisure business is is um, is booming, and part of that is functional, but I think it's also in the service of um, allowing women to feel, you know, to feel like they they look nice, look good while they're exercising.
0: We're with Danielle Friedman. Danielle Friedman is author of the new book, which is excellent, Let's Get Physical, How Women Discovered Exercise and Reshaped the World. You talk about um, this kind of this relationship to, to fitness in in the book, particularly when it, it pertains to to women. I wonder if women have a different relationship to fitness than men. And, and is there a feminist component to women's wellness and fitness? Mm.
1: Um, well, I I would say women, women definitely, um, in general, I think do have a a different relationship with exercise than men. And I think there's also a feminist component, um, you know, throughout so much of the history that I write about, um, the, Empowering aspects of fitness, <clears throat> excuse me, the empowering aspects of fitness were often sort of tempered by the the pressures that the fitness industry and popular culture um, you know p- placed on women at the same time to use exercise as a tool for um, achieving that, you know, their eras uh, body ideals and beauty ideals. And I was really interested in looking at how, um, the fitness industry for women became so intertwined with the diet industry and the beauty industry. Um, so while there's, you know, I think that exists, um, the pressures that many women feel in exercise spaces and to exercise, I think, um, exists for men as well, but, um, but I, I just think that the the stakes have, have historically been higher for women. And um, at least anecdotally, you know, I think the pressures have been greater. Um, so the feminist component, and there's actually, I, after I speak to this, I think these, these themes are really married in my last chapter, especially. But um, the feminist component, which is a major theme throughout the book, is um, well, literally, you know, the rise of the feminist movement in the early 1970s helped to fuel the fitness movement. Um, but I also make the case that even women who didn't identify as feminists were were basically benefiting from the increased opportunities to exercise in a in a sort of sneakily feminist way. So, for example, when aerobic dancing exploded, women who, um, who had never, who had, you know, hadn't moved their body in a, in a vigorous kind of intentional athletic way since, since childhood or ever, um, you know, came out and, and found that by developing a physical competence and physical confidence and trust in their bodies, they, they felt, Stronger in you know in other ways in more internal ways, and that strength and trust translated to other parts of their life. It also brought them joy, um, which is is significant. Um, the, the rise of the feminist movement, also excuse me, the rise of the fitness movement also provided um, sort of a new um, realm of job opportunities for many women, and um, and it, it offered a path to, um, caring for oneself at a time when women were so expected to, you know, almost exclusively care for others. So, um, you know, through my interviews with, with the many, many women in my book who both made this history and lived the history, and you know, I heard similar stories again and again of the impact it had on their lives. And so I'll just add that, um, at the end of my book, I really discuss the potential that can be gained from basically working to strip sort of the the aspects of women's fitness culture that encourage um, changing your physical appearance or striving to meet a particular body ideal and harnessing the aspects that are that are more geared toward just moving your body in a way that feels good. And benefits your mental health and brings you joy.
0: Yeah, and and you write and and you quote Gloria Steinem, mm-hmm. uh, the the writer, the lecturer, the political activist and, and feminist, who was critical of physical activities because she felt that the most important thing. Uh, was um, how, how it made the female body look, as opposed to these feelings of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know kind of hope and connection and a purpose kind of in life. Mm-hmm. What changed? Mm-hmm. What changed in the industry? What changed in in our society? What was it? Gloria Steinem, who was kind of leading some of this about that uh, that exercise began to be taken more seriously for its value amongst women?
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, Gloria Steinem, yeah, she writes very powerfully that growing up, you know, she really internalized the idea that a a woman's body was meant to be looked at, not to be an active, you know, participant in life. And she was, um, she and many other feminist leaders were critical of initially of aspects of, of women's fitness. And, you know, many feminists still are today because there's still much uh, so much room for improvement, but um, but I think for many women, um, while they might have initially sought out an exercise routine or a fitness regimen to change the way they look because that's how it was pitched to them, they pretty quickly discovered how wonderful some of these workouts made them feel. Um, and, and through that feeling and through, um, you know, sticking with it, they, they did form these social bonds and communities. And, and, you know, one woman I interviewed talked about how, um, she had been exercising with the same group of women for 40 years and they had just experienced life together. Um, so I I think that, um, as more and more women had those experiences, I, you know, the, the The culture began to shift. and also, I, I can't you know you can't discount the um, the growth of exercise science and and medical research into mm-hmm. the benefits mm-hmm. of of exercise and movement, which offered credibility and also helped to um, help to uh, basically deny some of the myths that debunk the myths that had persisted for so long about the dangers of exercise to women's bodies. You know, this belief that vigorous exercise would make a woman's uterus fall out or turn her into a man or a woman couldn't run more than two miles without collapsing. So as, as the science um, improved, you know, I think there, there was more of a cultural acceptance. And then Gloria Steinem herself famously took up weightlifting and yoga in her fifties and, Began to see the appeal.
0: <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about strength and strength training. Is that is that kind of the important focus today versus aerobics and, and bar?
1: Um, well, I mean, I I think it's it's all important, you know, because the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we we do reap the most benefits when we combine aerobic or cardiovascular activity and and strength training. Um, I think that the you know the opportunities for women uh, in the strength training world have, have really increased and accelerated in the last decade, I would say. Um, And I think even though there, there is still this cultural fear, women still really fear bulk. um, And the idea that, you know, lifting weights will make them appear unfeminine um, we're, we're working through that. And I think many women, as they, as they get a taste of what strength and strength training feels like are willing to sort of uh, work past some of those fears that it'll, that it'll make their, you know, make them unattractive. So, um, so I I do think we're, we're seeing some positive changes there.
0: So final question for you, Danielle Friedman. the experience of writing the book had to have changed you. I wonder if it changed your relationship to exercise.
1: It did. It did. Um, you know, it's, it feels to me like it sort of changed it in, in a million little ways. Um, it, 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 it certainly gave me a much deeper appreciation for the, the opportunities and access that I have today to, to move my body however I want. Um, and in in learning the history, it also just it has sort of infused my my workouts with a greater sense of meaning and um, and depth, really, to know to know sort of whose whose shoulders I'm standing on and who, you know, whose work I'm benefiting from. Um, and, and then it just yeah, it, it has given me um, a very clear eyed sort of. Look, uh, glimpse into my the motivations for why I exercise, um, and I think has allowed me to to really focus on the ways in which it 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 makes me feel good and, and is is beneficial to me, and kind of move away from some of the the message messages I had received when I was younger about exercise as a tool for um, shaping my body.
0: A great book. Absolutely. Just wonderful. I want to recommend it highly to our audience. Just getting great reviews online. Danielle Friedman's been our guest. She is author of the new book, Let's Get Physical, How Women Discovered Exercise and Reshaped the World. We will put links up to where you can find out more information about Danielle Friedman, her journalism career, her books. Uh, A great website too, by the way, Danielle Friedman. I I found a lot of uh, Wonderful resources. Yeah. Book club materials. There's also, I love this too. I have to, I just have to point this out and we'll put up a link to this too. A very age friendly for our audience, Spotify playlist from (laughs) Daniel Freeman. (laughs) That's that's awesome. Got a lot of great music, but thank you so much for your your generous time and uh, for this work too, because it's, it's a fascinating subject, one that all of us who exercise, um, need to know a little bit more about this history and the changes that have taken place and uh, certainly the, the, all the evolution that's occurred. But thank you so much for your time, Daniel Friedman.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
0: My thanks to Daniel Friedman, author of the new book, Let's Get Physical, How Women Discovered Exercise and Reshaped the World. Please check out our show notes for more information about Danielle Friedman, her work, as well as her new book, and her great resources on her website, which we've discussed today. Of course, my thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience here on the radio and the podcast. Please be safe, be well, practice smart social distancing, and let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Please check out our website at notold-better.com for more information more information. And we'll talk next week. Thanks, everybody.